So stand by, every being, cueing music, in three, two, and one. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio, conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate, with tonight's host, Jeff Hendler. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio and In the Soul's Waiting Room. Our guest is the Keeper of Soul's Purpose. And let me tell you, we've had quite a response since the first three programs aired, and all to conversation that's been rich and thought-provoking. Thanks for being part of this unique experience with us, and we hope you'll keep listening because there are some great perspectives being shared here about what the Keeper's calling the three lenses, the human-soul connection, the environment, and evolution itself. We'll continue to include your questions in our conversations wherever possible, and so please keep them coming. By the way, if you've missed any of the preceding programs, they're available on demand at www.thevoiceofevolution.com, and that's on our radio program page. We've also set up a Patreon account for those of you who've asked how they can help support these programs. Thank you. And you'll find our support page at patreon.com forward slash voice of evolution radio. And just to be sure, Patreon is spelled P A T. R-E-O-N. And thanks in advance if you decide to support our work. So let's bring him on. Welcome, Keeper, to Voice of Evolution Radio. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Keeper. You know, I got to say, I, I know you're not much for small talk. And yet it's a challenge for me all the same because, uh, you know, I'm used to making small talk. And so I guess when I say, you know, how are you, you just are. And when I ask if you're there, you always remind me that you're here. So I guess I'm learning to speak keeper. (laughs) Just as I'm learning to speak human, Jeff. Small talk, as you call it, stems from the second and third lenses, the environment and evolution. It's a social bonding tool that you inherited from your primate ancestors, actually. The recognition of familiar sound in large social groups, which helped its members recognize family and trusted companions. For me, it's an unnecessary ritual, since to me you are familiar and you are trusted. (laughs) And that's the first lens at play, of course. Thank you, Keeper. Or maybe I should say my soul thanks you. I didn't know about the evolution of small talk, but I did read something about shaking hands. You know, when you first meet someone, it came about as a gesture of peace to ensure that no one had a weapon. And then most people were right-handed, so that's why we shake with our right hand. Oh, and now I guess we've just had some small talk, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah, I believe we have, actually. Okay, so back to business. Where are we going today, Keeper? What are we going to talk about? Well, Jeff, I'd like to talk about separateness today. It seems it's a timely topic for the human realm right now. Mm, I'd say, given all that's happening. Ready whenever you are, Keeper. Well, here's what's in the energy of your planet right now, from my vantage point, at least. There's lots of awakening, lots of activation. Old stories are being revealed as illusion, and there's lots of grieving about that, actually. And there's a tension in the space between values and beliefs and needs and wants. There is a shift happening in authority that makes it all very competitive and manipulative. And there are many young souls stepping into positions of power, and that's creating disorienting events for the mature and old souls. You know, the souls have been working together to bring human dualities together, to build unity within diversity, and to help pave the way for some kind of global shift. Wow. And that's the world explained in less than 30 seconds. You know, Keeper, I consider myself a hopeful person. But even for me and and with all the work I've done personally, especially around leadership, my background in coaching, I'll admit it's a challenging time right now. Um, You know, I've been thinking about that perspective you shared last time, 
that we're all in the goo of metamorphosis. Really appreciate that analogy, and uh, it sounds exactly what you're describing right now. Well, I'm glad you said you're hopeful, because I interpret what humanity is going through right now as very hopeful, even though in the thick of it, many humans are disoriented and reacting with separateness. It's a them versus us perspective, I'm afraid. Not that that isn't normal for humans to have those reactions. Yet now even some higher frequency beings are being drawn into the energy of it because you're all questioning your future. You know, Jeff, I think this might be a good time for everyone to stop and take a deep breath. I certainly would if I could. Thanks, Keeper. You know what? Let's all take a deep breath. That feels better already. Keeper, many of us just, we don't understand what's happening. The separateness that's escalating when we've done so much to try and come together as a species. What did you call it? Bringing all the human dualities together, building unity within diversity? Yes, yeah, that. Well, Jeff, is it that you don't understand why separateness exists? Or is it that you don't understand the sorting into factions on nearly every level of existence? Because there's a big difference between those two. Right, there is. And I guess I'd have to say both. Uh, Naturally, I'm curious about why separateness exists in the first place. I don't understand why we let it separate us systemically, socially, economically. Then there's the question of why some people hold power over others and why there isn't more resistance. I mean, does that make sense? Oh, yes, it does. Separateness is systemic. And in order to get beyond it, we must first take into account the separateness. That's the elephant in the living room, as you humans say. Yes, yes. And, and at the risk of sounding naive, I'm just surprised that it still exists. We somehow can't feel for one another beyond an occasional, oh, that's terrible, you know, if, if even that. So even worse, uh, apparently now it, it's, what, now it's openly appropriate for people to be total racist. <laughs> and that's your human view of the world in less than 30 seconds, is it? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. And our conversations, they always seem to bring that back into the space. I mean, racism, really. Haven't we learned anything? And if we haven't, what's it going to take? I mean, just go back in recent history and look at the genocide in Rwanda, for example. I mean, if there's any perspective or hope for humanity around this, it would be welcome right now. Well, even in the face of all that you're experiencing, I promise you that hope is alive and well in humanity. And it may surprise you that you possess an incredible trust in the outcome of things and in each other, in spite of all your reactionary devices and separateness. <laughs> it's that chrysalis again, yes? The analogy to chrysalis is a tough one. So... I mean, we're not caterpillars. We're aware of the chaos when change is happening. Noted. And yet it may still be a powerful example of trusting the universe as we talk about separateness. Let me ask you, Jeff, where do you see hope in the people and things around you? Let's access that part of the conversation. Gladly. Yeah, yeah. So personally, I'm seeing an incredible outpouring of hope from individuals. There's a lot of inspiration everywhere. And I'm starting to see groups of people coming together, speaking up for various issues and causes, uh, more so probably than ever before. There's the water and air. There's advocating for gay rights, for human rights, for wildlife, and especially for our natural resources, which you called mobilization. We're coming together for the sake of something, you know? Oh, I do know, Jeff. And what else do you see? I see women mobilizing, big time. I mean, that's another inspiration. Ah, yes, the divine feminine finding its voice again after ages of silence. <laughs> There's a lot more to be said about that when the time comes. Noted. You know, I believe there's hope everywhere when you look for it, sometimes even when you don't. You know, maybe that's it. We have to look for it. Where you place your attention is critical because that's exactly what you'll see. It's not unlike your stories, actually. 
I agree. While I try to keep my attention on the sustainable things that are happening, things just, they feel different this time. Keeper, why do they feel so different? Well, the separating behavior towards each other and the planet has escalated, if that's what you're asking. And now it's out in the open. It's not hidden anymore. <laughs> the muck at the bottom of the pond is on the surface, or at least it's getting there. Getting there? Meaning there's more to come? Oh, yes. It's all part of the lenses in their relationship and positive feedback amplification. Evolution, Jeff. No great shift in your realm happens without all this. Right now, many more humans than normal are contributing. You're all evolutionaries, whether you realize it or not. Think about the tension that must build before an earthquake or a tsunami, an avalanche or a volcanic eruption. How it will turn out is still a mystery, but the tension is palpable even in the soul's realm and beyond. You know that those are all disasters you've just used as examples, don't you? I mean, just saying, Keeper. Okay, so if these events are what we're anticipating, I'm reminded of the phrase, desperate times call for desperate measures. Is that why you're here speaking with us? A desperate measure to get us to wake up more quickly? Well, I am here, and I'm speaking with you and to humanity, but not out of desperation, mind you. And yet, I know it's not an everyday occurrence for you, Jeff. Unless it is. <laughs> no, Keeper. You're still the only otherworldly being I talk to, at least that I'm aware of. <laughs> oh, I like that, Jeff. Willing suspension of disbelief on your part. That's hope too, by the way, being open to the mystery and the possibility. Mm, yes, you humans do have an incredible potential. Well, we talked about that last time, didn't we? When we talked about saving the ecosystem for the sake of the ecosystem and not just for humanity. Well, you know, everyone's responding to what's happening at the moment. Those creating the tension are trying desperately to keep the old stories safe. Make something great again. Remember that expression? I do. Well, that phrase isn't about a progressive change. It's about holding on to something ancient and often outdated in the evolutionary process. It's a fear of losing control and power because your stories tell you that you're supposed to be in control and power. Now, ironically, many humans who've been oppressed and forgotten believed that that phrase meant that life would get better for them. But it didn't mean that at all. It was another story designed to control them. It was an opportunity and manipulation of a group of humans so desperate to get rid of this progress that many other of you humans created. For them, it's a frightening progress that threatened their stories and their existence. So let me get this straight. The powers that be, another separateness as I see it, that's true. Use our stories against us, pitting us against each other. And the progress that many of us have been working for, like human rights and protecting the planet, that which we see as progress, frightens the hell out of those who believe that threatens their story. Well, terrifies is actually a more accurate word, I'd say. You're changing things and change is the unknown. When things change in the world, they also change for you personally because everything's connected. You're terrifying these humans. And because they're terrified, you've become the enemy, the aggressor, in fact, even though what you want to change would open opportunity for human rights and social justice. Terrifying concepts, by the way. I think I recognize that as sarcasm. And yes, for them, it's terrifying, actually. It's exactly what you profess is happening when they speak up, yes? And note that they're with us in that example, by the way. Mm, you could all use some small talk if you ask me. <laughs> I can see why you'd say that, Keeper. Maybe a handshake, yes? Oh, yes. Perhaps some tactile, real connection would help. So if we put ourselves in each other's shoes for a moment, not about the issues, just about the fear of what change means to us, we're really feeling the same thing. Yes, that's it. It feels like a catch-22. 
maybe a stack of dominoes. You understand the reference? Dominoes, one little piece falls and the rest follow, and once they do, nothing can stop them. Oh, yes, I understand dominoes. Everything we do impacts everything and everyone else, relationship and connection, just like the lenses. And there's a tipping point there, too, as I understand it. You act, and that frightens someone, so he or she acts, and that frightens you, and you act, and so it goes on. Exactly, yeah. We're, we're living in a time where the dominoes have been falling for some time. If we haven't felt that impact yet, really, we know it's only a matter of time before we do. Yes, exactly. And you'll never feel the deep grief of the planet in the human realm unless you stop the cycle. Ah, and how to do that? Well, oddly enough, because of this fear of change, voices are showing up everywhere in the separateness. They're beautiful, prolific voices of hope, reminding humanity of the power of awakening and consciousness and of the potential for a more compassionate and sustainable world. For some, it's the first time they've used their voices in this way. There are hopeful messengers all over the planet right now. And why do you think that is, Jeff? Ah, I got it. Because the voices desperate to make something great again have awakened them, activated them. Those desperate voices are actually our partners in activation. Yes, you're all so connected, even in your separateness. It's a brilliant design, by the way, and it's the first lens, the human-soul connection. A domino falls and impacts the next one, and so on and so forth. Brilliant design. So is that by our creator or some creator? Yes, precisely. I realize you're acknowledging that we're all creators, Jeff, and that's progress, by the way. Well, and I think this is also true. Some humans created a story that everyone was progressing along so beautifully, evolving, that you were doing so well, you were even willing to live with the underlying muck as long as you were moving forward. All that muck was at the bottom of the pond, after all. What's the harm in that? Well, this is why these events have disoriented you. Have you grieving what you perceive as your losses and judging your own naivety and believing that nothing would ever change? Or if it did, it would always be in your favor or at least a step up for the better. Oh, and you got to define what better meant, by the way. Mm. Sounds like we set ourselves up for exactly what's happening today. Seems also that we dismissed a huge part of the population because we expected to be right. Oh boy, there is some serious humility in that one, isn't there? Undoubtedly. But you mentioned the grieving. Even if it's a story, the grieving is powerfully important. Well, the grieving concept is critically important to our future conversations. So is the idea of what progress really means. Because only then will you be able to begin to rewrite your stories from what you created in the first place. But don't you see how hopeful all this is? To us, and perhaps to all that exists without explanation, this is progress. The muck is on the surface. Humanity brought it up from the depths, and it has to be cleared if humanity is truly to move forward and progress. Does that surprise you? Keeper, I'm pretty sure nothing will ever surprise me ever again after all of this. Oh, that's not really true, Jeff. But the irony isn't lost on me. Oh, good. Oh, and evolution is eager to comply, by the way, the third lens. You just have to make the first move whenever you're ready. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but that really does feel hopeful. And until we do, we're, uh, we're going to stay in that goo, right? Using the caterpillar metaphor, I think we're all eager to get out of that goo keeper. Well, don't rush the process, Jeff. Your time in the goo is well spent. Remember that you're always in choice about how you handle it now, and now, and now. Yeah, I, I get it. What I will add is that when humanity awakens and grows into its consciousness, the souls who are participating in your realm will too. It's the sole purpose of it all. That's S-O-L-E, by the way. <laughs> well done, Keeper. 
And with all due respect, I'm always concerned when you say that. It makes humans sound like a device for the S-O-U-L and nothing more. Frankly, not very helpful right now. We've been played enough. Well, here's what I'll say about that. You are here at the grace of the infinite, just as we all are. And you're part of the infinite, just as we all are. The human experience is real, and it also helps support the growth and expansion of souls, as well as the growth and expansion of humans. And there'll be more to come on that when it's time, by the way. That's the first lens again, the human-soul connection. Human growth and expansion impact the second and third lenses, the environment and evolution. And that's the balance and relationship of it all. So let's keep that in mind as we have this conversation. Fair enough. And yet I'm still stuck on this idea of being a device and at the same time not being one. And I wonder if the listeners are too. Well, Jeff, there are humans who see themselves as devices. We could call them the fatalists, couldn't we? That's their story and that's how they live their lives. And then there's the use of humanity as a device built by humans. You realize that when you talked about systemic racism just a while ago, you were describing humanity being used as a device as well, weren't you? You described the powers that be using those who are among the masses as a device for their own gain and power, arbitrarily taking away from humanity. To do what? Cut spending, reduce budgets so that all the numbers look good? Building systems that add privilege for some and marginalize many? Taking away the humanity, that's the lowercase h version, from humanity with a capital H? So it's in our stories to be used as a device by the 1% who control the system? Well, you tell me. Yes, I believe that's what it's become. Perhaps not the original intent, but that's true today. Being a device is in our stories. What comes up for me is that we're starting to question those stories. We're examining those systems with the intent of giving back some dignity and worth to those who are marginalized. We're giving back dignity and worth, which was never anyone to take away, mind you. But I digress. And no, I'm not actually, because it's about separation. I don't make anyone wrong about what humans created in the past. Acknowledging that humanity, lowercase h again, exists systemically in your world, yes, that's a step in the right direction. Doing something about it is the real evolution, isn't it? It is. And what a story that's going to be. So, hope. We were talking about hope in the midst of all of this, weren't we? Yes, hope. Hmm. Well, we've all begun a transformational journey together, and this transformation taking place will move humanity forward in a way that all choice matters. Being present as humans is the only way to live, whether you believe you're a device or a spiritual being. It seems to me that this is about accepting the stories of our past as impermanent. We're trying to make them permanent, even though they're not. And, and maybe that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Well, it's the power of the domino. What a palpable word that is, domino. Humans only start to change their stories when they see that the toppling is going to happen to them. And that's something else we've talked about. And I'm sure we're going to keep coming back to it. I bet we are, because our stories are powerful forces in how our lives play out. Well, yes, and there are stories compounding stories. For example, you believe in your separateness even when you say you don't. You also believe that your separateness will protect you. It cannot, and it will not. There is no privilege. And that's really what I want to talk about today. So we've created a great context for this conversation. Agreed. And you know, Keeper, it often feels like a tangent, and yet always seems to add value. So let's get back to separateness, yes? Hmm, separateness. How to define it for the sake of this conversation, even though we've been talking about it all along? Hmm. I know. I think we can reference the human, Sigmund Freud, and his revelation about three other lenses, the id, the ego, and the superego. Ha! 
Talk about stories. Well, what we're actually talking about again is the human-soul connection as well as the second lens, the environment, and what gets connected around that for you as humans. So we're going to Freud, <laughs> the id, ego, and superego. Well, we could go back further in your history and time and use the Greeks as an example of how powerful the story is. But then we'd be talking about humanity as a device again. As you know, the ancient Greeks believed that all people were actors in the drama of the many gods above. Freud made it more of a struggle that included choice by saying that humans are pushed and pulled by desires, by social norms, and by conscience. Ah, uh, those fight courses are coming back to me as you're speaking, Keeper. How do we define separateness through Freud? Well, defining separateness begins with the existence of desires and drives within each human, and actually within each soul. And it begins with what Freud calls the id. That's where the separateness you feel as humans begins. I want, I need, I desire. And it's all for you, not for the sake of something or someone else. Separateness, as we're talking about it, begins here. I am separate. And I suppose we should define the word separate now too, shouldn't we? Mm, not to yep. separate, but the noun separate, as in units by themselves. After all, you begin as separate beings because you have these human forms. And your third dimension being is filled with things that are separate, physical characteristics and physical objects too, both of which add to the separateness of the id. It's as if we've been set up for separateness. Oh, it gets even better, Jeff. And here's where the ego comes in. It makes you feel good if you got everything you wanted and needed. It also makes you feel bad if you didn't. You don't like that feeling bad part. So sometimes you let the ego drive you to sacrifice others for the sake of getting what you want. Not the best part of us, Keeper. Not by a long shot. Well, I'm not judging that. Well, at least not at the moment. And ironically, that brings us to the superego, which is judging everything. What you often call your conscience. And truthfully, it's a learned state of mind from your environment, unless there's something out of balance with the neuro networking of you humans. In that case, he or she can't connect to the superego. So there's no guilt or incorporating standards that includes consideration of others at all. Which accounts for those humans who commit crimes against other humans. Precisely. Okay, so let me recap this here. Our id creates desire, and our ego makes us feel good or bad about what we have or we don't have. And our superego is judging it all through the lens of what we've learned is right and wrong. Hmm. So I'm reminded of a quote. And the quote is that evil men do what good men only dream of. I mean, is that it? Is that, that all that keeps us civilized? Well, you're all connected. So to believe that you aren't capable of the same impulses is foolish. What you don't have is the same ego or consciousness to either think of or act on those impulses. It's quite a well thought out design by the human soul connection, by the way. Not to mention Freud. Well, in my thinking, it's the same thing, Jeff. And yes, Freud was a creator in that context. Keeper, what more is there to say about separateness and separate? Well, that may be sufficient to take us to the next level, which is to separate, the verb, which means to isolate. I can't think of any greater example of separating than racism. And in order to have that conversation, we must first take race into account. We'll have to look at it from a meta view, mind you. You know, I'm amazed at what it takes sometimes to have these conversations, Keeper. To really have these conversations, yes, it takes a great deal of effort. Without taking all this into account, you're never really asking why something exists. And if you don't know why something exists, how will you ever change it? Now, here's a definition for you. The belief that all members of each race possess characteristics or abilities specific to that race. That's your basic definition of the word racism, isn't it? I've actually never looked it up, and it sounds accurate on a very surface level. Like a foundation that we're going to build on, I hope. 
Actually, I'm surprised how innocent it sounds. Well, on its own, the definition is neither good nor bad. It just is. You add the meaning that makes it more than what it is. Now, some history about humanity must be mentioned here. In order to survive the changes in environment, different groups of humans adapted differently. And what you see today is the legacy of that adaptation to the environment, as well as the lines of heredity that perpetuated those early evolutionary adaptations. So it was by design that different groups of humans sprang up in different parts of the world? Or did we all start in one place and our uniqueness is a result of the migration that humans made? I'm remembering my history of humanity here. Well, it's all true, actually. Many of your indigenous peoples who either had no need to migrate because their environment remained friendly or were part of a wave of migration that didn't include a dramatic adaptation, they remained isolated. And yes, the human species is ultimately of African origin. That's where you originated and where you've spent the majority of your time on Earth. Your evolution was slow until a sudden genetic advance was made. Scientists have yet to explain it, and it was the human soul connection at work. Humans needed to be more creative to survive what was to come, the need to speak and the need to travel and to be more adaptive. It's ironic, actually, that the ability to adapt to environment also came from this evolutionary leap. How ironic is that when we talk about racism, that we all began in the same place? Am I getting ahead of the conversation by saying that? Oh, no, you're not, because once separate, it was essential for each culture to create a shared symbolism, a way to recognize each other and what was safe. I think you'd find it interesting to know that this is how personal ornamentation began, and it became a sign of group identity and status, an expression of uniqueness. This has never happened before. Dare I say it, a fashion statement? Well, in its most rudimentary form, of course. And yes, that's it and more. It required the evolution of artistry and production, which were to serve more practical purposes later on. I'm finding it pretty cool that fashion was an evolutionary step. Well, it still is, actually. You connect more easily with people who dress just like you do. And it also shows up in what you call gangs, using colors, I believe, to distinguish who's with them and who's not. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to wrap my brain around the thought that this was the behavior of early humans. And, uh, hey, we're still in those same stories. Well, it's for many of the same reasons for many of you. You know, I'm aware that we could talk about separateness for hours and so many angles to it. So that's why I offer all this as a mess of you. We, we can always go into more detail in the future if you want, Jeff. Just for now, let me say that from the perspective of the second lens, the environment, diversification of any species is critically important, or an extinction is always possible, like that of the Clovis people who we talked about in the past. Remember, they were a species wiped out by a climate event. So there was no better than or less than in staying or going. Can we agree to that? We can. Good. So now about 60 to 70,000 of your years ago, there was a migratory event because of a shift in climate. In fact, there was a sudden cooling. And if humans hadn't migrated, humankind might have been lost forever. Those who remained faced incredible hardship and held on to their survival by a thread. And if they hadn't stayed, their particular genetic markers and legacies would have been, what, lost forever? Oh, yes. So it was really important that they survived. So again, Keeper, and just to keep summarizing, we're clearly one species that's diversified geographically. And if we hadn't, there might not be any of us left. So that's for starters. I'm also imagining how difficult it must have been for some humans to make that decision, you know, to leave the only place they knew. I mean, the thinking must have been very basic then with all of the trappings of 21st century humans. So to leave everything had to be a big, scary deal. Well, actually, the earliest Homo sapiens had an untapped cognitive ability that preceded the science of invention or even the need to invent. Really? Oh, yes. 
and surprising because all they had to focus on was survival, food, shelter, water, sleep, reproduction. And not surprising because evolution needed them to have that cognitive ability going forward. So the choice to migrate or stay originated with the need to survive. And it was also based on safety to some degree in what would keep a human or a human group safe once those first needs were met. So I think I'm hearing Maslow's hierarchy of need here in what you're saying. Oh, yes, that's right. Human Maslow identified need in a well-ordered and easily understood way. That's true. This is a strong foundation for humans, like the levels of souls are for us in the souls realm. You can't proceed without these needs as your foundation, and souls also have their needs. Consider the young souls taking over the power and control of much of the planet right now. Uh, amazing keeper. We've got Freud going. We've got Maslow. I'm just, I'm like back in university here, <laughs> but I digress. So that becomes the first lens again, right? The young souls taking over power and control of much of the planet. It's uh, the first lens, the, the human soul connection. Yes. And there's something else too for both humans and souls. There is a relationship between need and the behavior that's inherent to that need. When humans are in survival mode, or they believe that they lack those basic needs might be a better way to say it, their behaviors align with their perceived lack. So a human or community of humans believing that their basic survival needs are missing or threatened are prone to behave with hostility and violence. They see a have and have not world, not the abundance that's all around them. It's what we call tribal thinking on the survival level and part of that cycle that we talked about earlier. Yes, tribal leadership. I, I've done some work around that, so definitely get it. And I've got to say, nowadays, there's also work being done within organizations, categorizing organizational styles around the levels of need in tribal culture. I mean, basically reinventing them. So, know that souls have much the same hierarchical structure when it comes to what the soul needs and how it responds when it doesn't get what it needs. That does explain a lot. So, moving back to separateness. Oh, and back to racism. Positive feedback amplification. Cause and effect. Yes, all of those. All of those. Uh, one thing affects the second, and the second thing affects the next, but, but it also affects the original one. Yes, exactly. Now, even though some groups of humans chose to migrate and continued to migrate in search of their survival needs, isolation also had its advantages, because each group that stayed continued to adapt and develop based on its environmental conditions. That allowed them to grow stronger and more resilient. Think of those original humans who survived that cooling event. Their resilience exists even today in their descendants. It's all based on the variables in the environment. Did they hunt or did they gather? What were the other sentient lives sharing their environment? Was the climate hot or cold? Did it have seasons? Cultures began and evolved from all of that and became part of the legacy of that group of humans even today. So survival first. Well, survival of the species, followed by physiological, societal, and cultural evolutions. Mankeeper, I wish you could have taught me history. <laughs> then maybe I would have paid more attention. So it's the environment. The second lens creating positive feedback amplification resulting in evolution. It's true for the bigger picture too. Species diversification, no matter which species we talk about, was and still is essential. It's essential for survival, each having a role in what you call the ecosystem and life in the broader sense. Think of the abundance of subspecies in birds and mammals, reptiles and the insect world, all connected, all connected and balanced. Please remember what I said there. So all of this proves how old your stories are and how ingrained they are. But it would be too simple to say that racism is in your DNA. It lets all of you off the hook in a way that holds no accountability and that just won't do. Besides, not everyone has thoughts of racism or bigotry. Not everyone has this mindset of better than or lesser than. Now a scientific note for a moment. 
Many of your human brains are wired to be more survival and safety conscious, and some are wired to be more self-actualized and information conscious. Many of you actually are wired to one or the other. Not all of you, but many are. That creates quite a difference in where you choose to focus your attention. Now, what's the origin of that keeper? Is, is that the human soul connection? Well, the soul's age is a starting place, so the human soul connection must be taken into account. And then there's that human's genetic characteristic from what you call its family. Now, those are all soul contracts, by the way, although this is the least reliable source. There's also the human's experience or learning and what happens to it in its environment. Hmm. Yeah, there's just so many variables all at play at once. You know, Keeper, this is fascinating. I, I am thrilled that you join us regularly to talk about these things. I, I mean, this is neuroscience explained through the first lens. And so in order to understand racism, we've got to look back at all of this. Well, how can you look at it except through these lenses? And keeping it simple, Jeff, somehow, somewhere, someone gave the word racism added power. Racism became separateness based solely on physical or cultural conditions and what you choose not to understand about each other, such as appearance or earthly place of origin, and even cultural customs. But mostly it's the things that are hereditary or unchangeable about another human. You've given the word racism a specific power, a somewhat mystifying power. The interpretation of the word has become especially so as to distinguish it as inferior or superior to another race or races. Now, why was that even necessary? Can you answer that for me? Couldn't you humans have left well enough alone? I hear you, Keeper. And as well, as I'm listening, I'm thinking that perhaps a good question to ask is which came first, the definition or the need for a definition? Oh, that's a good perspective to explore, although it might just spiral on into infinity, like your question about the chicken and the egg. I'm sure you know that one, don't you? <laughs> I do, and frankly, it's always bothered me that there's no answer. There is no answer, right? Keeper, there's an answer, and you know it, don't you? From the environmental and evolutionary lenses, the egg must always come first. The first zygote suitable to produce the first chicken came from an egg, even though the egg came from two non-chickens. However, since the zygote in the egg that produced the first chicken came from something defined as a non-chicken, was it really a non-chicken? Or was it in fact a chicken, which means the chicken came first? I trust I make myself obscure, Jeff? <laughs> Should have known better than to ask. So, may I get back to our conversation about separateness and racism, if you don't mind? That's a great idea, please. We were talking about which came first, and that's nearly impossible to say. The need for a definition surely created one, and if one existed, it's logical that there would be those eager to implement its meaning for the sake of gain or control. Oh, and that's more young soul behavior, by the way. So, let's add to the definition an irrational bias towards a member of a specific background. And please note the use of that word, irrational. So noted. Now that could mean that you admire one race because you value its uniqueness, or it could mean that you've singled out a race as being inferior because of its uniqueness. This definition of racism exists in everyone in some way, shape or form. That doesn't mean you're all racists, and yet you do have difficult times seeing the difference and not judging it or yourselves in some way. That's the human condition. So I get it, and I'm sure the listeners do too. What comes up for me, Keeper, is a very naive question about why any race accepts that lesser than standing in the first place. Why isn't their story fighting that stereotype? Then, of course, the question arises, how can we even begin to change it? The easy answer to why groups of humans didn't fight back is often it wasn't in their stories. 
They'd never seen other human beings before, so they didn't sense any danger in their arrival. You see, when that was the case, it was easy for one group of humans to manipulate and dominate the other. So passivity and aggression were inherent in our needs and behaviors from the very beginning. Based on the second lens, yes. Okay, and it makes sense when we're talking two billion years ago. I don't know how it applies today. Maybe this question asked by one of the listeners will help shed some light on that. The question was asked, is separateness something we're here to overcome? And it comes from a listener from New Zealand. Great question, by the way. Thank you. So, listener from New Zealand, there is separateness, and there's bigotry, and there's racism. Separateness exists everywhere in the universe. The uniqueness of beings, all beings, and their interdependence, that's what makes for a balanced ecosystem and a balanced universe. That is the natural order of separateness. What isn't natural is the perception of superiority or inferiority. Now, you might argue with me that social animals like prides or packs have to have an alpha leader or an alpha pair. And that would be a sound argument if not for the distinction that a pack has that social order for the survival and connectedness of the pack. It's about the whole, not about the individual. So in other words, it's like a family, that social order. Children don't have this idea of separation until they're taught it, right? I mean, until a mother or father tells them not to play with someone because of, well, you know, whatever the reason. But once they do, the child begins to see a difference or a separateness that it never saw before. And let's face it, we know a child looks up to its parents. No, actually, it requires its parents for its own survival. So it adapts in a way that not only gains approval, but it also keeps itself safe. And eventually the child believes the adaptation. So it becomes his or her story. Now, not every child believes those stories, but to act on that disbelief can be devastating for a child within its family. Oh, that's very true. Children with different vibrational frequency than their parents, and notice I didn't say better frequency, will see those stories for what they are. And what can they do when their survival depends on their parents? It's why many children adapt to their parents' stories until they're on their own, and then they're accountable for their own survival. Ah, those rebellious teenage years. I remember them very well. Too well, probably. Which leads me to ask the listener's question again. Is this something we're here to overcome? Well, I realize that there is a school of thought that says it is exactly what you're here to overcome. Remembering that you're all spirits and one people, yada, yada. It's the only goal in this human lifetime. That holds some truth, but it's really about awakening to the human ego for the sake of your own evolution. To get beyond ego, you must first take account of ego. I'm sure you have questions about this, so I think I'll pause for a moment. Yes, Keeper, thank you. Lots of questions and yada, yada. I was wrong. I can still be surprised. Okay, back to serious business. We keep coming back to ego as one of the variables in everything. So how is that impacting us today when it comes to separateness and racism? As you and I both said earlier, it's now out in the open. You're all taking sides and sorting each other into us or them. You know, there is something else in the first lens I should mention. Souls have um, a coding in their purpose, kind of like a fingerprint. That coding can be proactive or reactive based on the variables in the human environment. The characteristics of this coding are imprinted on the soul when it incarnates. I see what's happening in your world right now, and you humans are clearly making choices based on this coding. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Well, I could, but I'd rather keep it as a placeholder for next time, if you don't mind. In general, humans are sorting themselves into polarities as your 21st century issues are coming to a head. Individual purpose is also coming to the surface. It's all about choice, as I've said so many times in the past. Choice around racism. Just to clarify the 21st century issues you're talking about. Oh yes, around racism. Well, and more, of course, about all of the issues of your time, in fact. 
But since we're talking about racism now, consider what you said earlier, that it's openly appropriate for people to be total racists. That's actually a hopeful sign, because how would you ever solve a problem that you can't see? Ah, so now all that muck is coming up from the bottom of the pond. You see now what it is you have to clean up, and that includes the muck in yourself, as well as in others. Okay, critical points here. Thank you, Keeper. And Keeper, I'm aware that we're coming to the close of the program, so is, is there one thought that you want the listeners to take away before we end? One thought among so many, difficult to choose. Hmm, all right, I'll present you with a new one. Here is what calls to me in this moment. In time, your separate races will come back to each other, and you've already begun that process of creating a multiracial species. Call it the returning home of what separated you since you first migrated from all that you knew to find new ways to survive. It's science, by the way, not speculative fiction. So feel free to fact check for those who want more information. Yes, and up till now, many of the messengers who've delivered this message have met with resistance. Some haven't even survived the message, but it's everywhere in your world as an evolution about love and connection, and more to say about that, of course. When it reaches its tipping point, just like the dominoes, evolution will advance quickly because it has to, and all the strengths that humanity had gained from taking a step away from each other will bring you together with all of the strengths of this one race of humans. Some will grieve based on their stories, and it will happen nonetheless. And this is what I want listeners to take away, because that is the future, and that feels like hope. Thank you, Keeper. And we'll talk again, yes? We have so much more to talk about. Uh, before you go, Jeff. Yes? Let's stay connected after the music plays for a moment. There's something else I want to ask you. And you're going to leave me there, aren't you? Well, I suspect you wouldn't have it any other way, actually. It does make life interesting, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, very. Okay, we'll talk after the program. And I want to thank our listeners before we sign off today. This is Voice of Evolution Radio. I'm Jeff Hendler, and I've been speaking with the Keeper of Soul's Purpose. You're welcome to reach out to us at jeff at voiceofevolutionradio.com or linda at voiceofevolutionradio.com. Until next time, go out and create conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate. Keeper, are you still here? Yes, Jeff, I am. Jeff, I wanted to ask you, are we still on the right track with offering this perspective to humanity? I'm concerned about the first lens, the concern you keep raising about it all sounding like a device. You know, Keeper, I'm glad you asked, um, and I want to ask you the same thing. It's just not an easy concept to accept. It did help, though, talking about how systemically we've been devices in many of the stories we've created. Not comforting, but helpful. Hey, the last thing I want is for you to think that this isn't working and not come back again. You wouldn't do that, would you? Oh, no. Heavens, no. Um, I'm experimenting with humor there, Jeff. <laughs> yes, I got it. Keeper humor. It's all good. So are we okay? Oh, I like how you put that. Yes, I believe we're okay. What do you believe? I believe we're okay too, Keeper. Is there anything else? Well, there is actually. Um, I'm just wondering, how do you do it? I don't understand. Do what? Oh, how do you exist inside those individual forms of yours, all alone and isolated? Wow. Well, it's just who we are, Keeper. I mean, even with the first lens and our soul connection, we're human. And these bodies are all we've got in the here and now. Ah, yes, of course. Oh, I was just wondering. I'm curious about what it's like. I suppose you could call it that, yes. 
perhaps without third dimensional being, there'd be no appreciation of just how challenging it can be to separate. Maybe that's the whole point. Who knows? Well, all that exists without explanation, of course, and not too many others, Jeff. Another question for another conversation, yes? Until next time? Next time, such an unusual expression. Okay, next time, I'd like to talk about messengers. It's time to talk about what you call the LGBTQ community. And I'm sensing we're now complete for today, yes? Yes, I think we are. So I'm going to redirect this part of my consciousness until next time. Until next time, Keeper.